What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. And thanks for joining us today on the HR Impact Show. This is your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And today, we're going to talk about why you can't cherry pick what's needed to build a high-performance culture. It's all or nothing. Taking bits and pieces of things that are convenient for you leaves a lot of things to chance. That's the argument that Aryan Mackay makes. Let's find out a little bit about Aryan. When he's not being a KISS superfan, and you'll find out what that's about when you connect with him on LinkedIn, Aryan is the CPO of Front. Front is a customer operations platform for streamlining customer communications at scale. He's a multi-time chief people officer in the venture-backed startup space. He's an advisor for several early-stage HR tech startups, organizations that are in the hyper-growth stage of their life cycle. So if you're a scale-up or startup, this is a conversation that you're going to want to listen to. Aryan's the person you bring in to get the ball moving in the right direction. And oh, by the way, he's Dutch and he's also a University of Chicago MBA. So Aryan, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dr. Jim. Happy to be here. Yeah, super excited to have you on. And I think before we dive into the conversation, I'd like you to share a little bit more about what you feel is important for them to know about you that's going to bring an interesting lens to the conversation. What I'm hoping to bring to the conversation is different perspectives. I started my career in, let's say, the, the big corporate environments. I was at LG Electronics there and later on went to the Boston Consulting Group. And then I, I was also a management consultant as a Boston, at the Boston Consulting Group, which is quite interesting performance environment by itself. And then thirdly, it transitions to the venture-backed startup world and performance is, is, is a big topic there too. So I'm hoping to actually bring pieces from those different environments to this conversation. One of the things that's interesting about your background is that you started and you spent quite a bit of time in larger organizations and now you're in the hyper growth stage. Mm -hmm. If you had to pick one key lesson that you brought over from large organizations into the startup world, what is that lesson and how is that relevant to building high-performance teams? Anybody who's been in, in big organizations has also seen processes at scale uh, and also what happens when you put really great processes and systems in place. And when you look at the startup world, oftentimes we're moving at 100 miles an hour and quickly slapping things together. And sometimes I feel that we might skip the process there. And to and the process that would then create consistency. Consistency in my mind also often creates perceived uh, fairness and equity, etc. What I have taken from the past experience is that like how processes can help and can be good, basically, and systems can be good, and how to apply those to in a startup environment. I sometimes feel that in the startup world, this might be an aversion also a little bit to process. There was a time when it was like process is bad, process is scary, process is ugly, basically. I, I, you read my mind because I was about to put a disclaimer out for all of the high growth organization or high growth listeners that, hey, we're not going to be wading deep into processes necessary, <laughs> but this isn't a process engineering conversation because I'm a high growth guy. I cringe when there's too much 
too much process involved. I just want to run fast and break things. You get where I'm yeah. coming from, don't you? I absolutely get where you're coming from. Jim, I think there's a balance there that you want to strike. Like I, I think in a high growth startup environment, you need to be nimble. You need to be agile as well. But by putting certain processes and systems in place, you do create that consistency that will also be important to deliver on your employee engagement. Because it's like striking about balance there. Normally, I do a bunch of rapid fire questions to get to get the conversation going. I think I'm going to do a little bit of a curveball. You're Dutch. Who's your favorite Dutch yeah. footballer? Favorite of all time? That would have to be Johan Cruyff because he's the, in my mind, the godfather of Dutch football or soccer, however you want to call it. But I also have a slight weakness for Arjen Robben because he's my name. So this isn't a sports radio show for those that are listening, so don't tune out. But uh, if we're if we're having a debate about favorite uh, Dutch players, I'm on the Clivert and Edgar Davids camp. So that's that's where I'm coming from. But let's let's drill into something that's actually relevant to, to the audience, and that's building high performance teams. And I want you to give us a little bit of context and share with us some of the, the the things that stand out in your career that you're most proud of. If we take a step back and we look at the last couple of years, um, I think that the world has seen a lot of changes, right? And also here in the US, uh, I think there was a lot of change happening. We had COVID, we had several social political things going on. We had the Silicon Valley Bank collapsing. If we look at the last 18 months and also what's been happening in, in the, uh, the investor venture capital markets uh, and how access to capital for growth firms has also severely declined. A lot has happened. And I, it, if I look back at it, the last couple of years, I think what I would be most proud of is supporting the organizations that I was a part of navigating through this change. Because at, at times that, that was pretty tough. Like I remember also like when COVID hit and your head of HR and the company just needs to stay operational, right? So you need to Make sure that the revenue keeps flowing in, people get paid, and also help them to uh, support them through the all of the anxieties that were people were going through at that time. So I think if I look back, like that was a very, there were very various chaotic times the last couple of years. I'm proud of what I did there. Yeah. When you're talking about navigating crisis as a people leader, what were yeah. the what were the one or two things that you felt really helped you navigate those? crises effectively, especially from a people leader lens? First of all, it, it, it's just stay calm. Like you said, like there, there's a, it was definitely spiking people's anxieties. And it's like many people were stressing out over what was happening around them. And if, if, if you could be the calm one in the room, right? And that, that helps a lot. Secondly, you should approach it with empathy. So also recognize what people are going through and, and what's happening and see it from their perspective as well. I think sometimes in, in crisis, companies can also approach it very much like from a singular point of view and just say, why don't we just keep on going? It's like, this is what your people are going through. So empathy, definitely very important. And then also like surely make the sounds a bit cliche, but just be very practical about what needs to happen, what needs to get done. And if you got to different types of changes before and you take a step back, you realize it's actually pretty much like any other change that we've gone through before. You're relatively new at front. I think you've been there mm -hmm. a handful of months. So when you look into 2024, what are some of the moonshots that you've targeted over the next 12 to 24 months? Now, I'll caveat this also because I'm new for any uh, leader to come into an organization. I think you want to like stabilize the team first and like get to know the team and, and really truly understand the organization. When I started at France and, and Frontiers are very driven and highly ambitious. And so one of their first questions was like, okay, are you? What is your plan? And that this I like I was like two weeks in or something like that at that point. I'm I'm two and a half months in right now. And my response was the same thing. It's like I, I, I really want to spend the time to learn about the organization, like what makes it tick, 
and, and then uh, from a business standpoint and also from a, a cultural standpoint and really understand like that then also understand like what are our challenges and then come up with what we're going to do now this being said like one of the things that i already know that that we're focusing on and that many i think high growth tech companies are going to be focusing on and i want to say I caveat high growth, because if we look at the last year, like I think many tech organizations are experiencing like not so much high growth at this moment, right? And how do you then still create like a compelling value proposition for your talents be at your company? Because they also joined your company because they wanted to be part of a high growth company. And when maybe the, the, the top line growth isn't as, as extreme as it was before, because the entire SaaS industry is going through a rough time at this moment, then what do you do? How do you motivate them? How do you continue to develop them and showcase to them, hey, look, staying at, uh, being at front is amazing opportunity and this is where you want to be. And so I think it's a combination of professional development, career development, and also performance management, performance management from the lens of like, how can we help you excel? It's really interesting. A lot of the things that you mentioned, because when we think about moonshots or when we hear about moonshots in the broader business world, we're thinking massive things. If it is mm -hmm. that in a, in a lot of instances, it's getting the fundamentals right, getting the basics nailed is what actually drives right. the most impact. I, I wanted to call that out for those that were listening, because mm -hmm. I think it's an important point to highlight. You know, you've had the experience of being in both high established organizations and high growth organizations. When you think about some of the myths that exist, either from a leadership perspective or an HR perspective, what's the myth that is in the space that annoys you the most and wish would just go away. If we just stay on topic here, I think one of those myths is that like, uh, okay, I want to be a high performance culture and they look at successful cultures and like Netflix or Amazon or, or companies like that. And then wanting to, to cherry pick elements of that and, and then say, I like this part. And so this is what I'm going to do. And then not, not also recognizing that element functions well because of a broader ecosystem of different efforts, initiatives, systems, processes in place that, that to reinforce the success of that particular element. That's often the conversation that I'm done having with, with different executives at startup companies. I'd like you to expand on that. Why does it stand out to you? And why do you make the point that you can't cherry pick this, that, or the other thing? You have to have a broader view. I was part of the, the Boston Consulting Group for a while. I was there for quite a while, like seven years. And I had a client-facing role there. I was a management consultant. But for a while, I was also there in an operations role, in a, actually in an HR operations role there internally. I was able to see it from the client-facing side as well as from like the internal workings. And I learned a lot there about performance management in general. One thing I will say about the Boston Consulting Group is that, one, I'm, I'm still to this day very grateful for the opportunities that they gave me and, and the amount of development that I received like when I was there. But secondly, that they were able to create a high-performance culture that's, that is a true apparat culture, but also uh, with empathy. And uh, I always thought that it was quite unique because you also hear about high-performance cultures that, that maybe turn toxic. And for a while, the investment banking world was more known like that. And so I always thought that it was very unique that BCG was able to hire amazingly talented people and then put them through rigorous performance management and really push them to get to the highest of their potential. But when it was decided like, okay, you're, you didn't hit that bar, then also be able to part ways with people in a way that was like, like high empathy. And 
where people walked away were like, okay, I get it. And, and that's okay. And appreciate it. And it was, we had a great time together and now we're going to move on. And that always stood out to me. And, and so that was an experience like earlier in my career. And then I took that with me to also the startups that I was a part of that whenever it usually was like founders who would bring up to me, look, we also want to be high performance. And how do we do that? And oftentimes the, 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 the go-to mechanism is, look, I, I just need to let go of low performers really quickly. And yes, this is an element of it, but there are other elements in there as well that you'll need to put in place in order to make that work. You called it out yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of people look at high performance cultures, those up or out cultures, and they associate it with being toxic. And then you mentioned that at BCG, Boston mm-hmm. Consulting Group, this was a high performance upper out culture that had a high degree of empathy. How do you build that performance culture and maintain empathy? What are some of the building blocks that allow you to do that and create that environment? The fact that the BCG was always very upfront and direct with you about that. And even before you joined the company. And this is something that you see at Netflix as well, at least from, I've never worked at Netflix, but that's my understanding from people that, know that work there. They're very upfront that, look, this is a high performance culture. We pride ourselves on that and we want you to be a part of it. But if the time comes where you are not hitting that bar for us, then we'll just be very upfront with you about it. And then that's where the, the road will end and that's where the journey will end. And if you're very upfront about that right from the get-go, like that's, like, people will self-select in. And I, I did as well. So I, coming out of uh, grad school, I knew exactly what was in the brochure and it was very clear to me. And so I definitely signed up for that. Then I think the second key component is that uh, you want to be able to attract great talent as well and, and bring high performance talent in, in, the, in the door, right? Because that increases the probability that those people will hit that bar and they're going to be successful. That requires like a really good recruiting process to be able to identify great talent and uh, the, the, the probability of having a, a good hire is just very high. And what I sometimes see also in, in high growth companies is that the recruiting process airs more towards speed than towards quality. And especially in a high growth environment, like you need to get people at the door basically to, to do the work. But you get a lot of mishires to that as well. And these mishires are not going to hit that bar. And uh, they're, uh, especially if you hire people that are not as good as you would like them to be, that's also going to have an impact on the team as well. So having great talent in the, in the team is, is key. So therefore hiring great talent. Now you'll also see that with these like, bigger companies that I granted, they do have the money and the brand, et cetera, that they really work hard to get the best talent in the door. BCG definitely did and throughout a lot of perks, et cetera, but then you also have the brand name. Going back to Netflix, if I might use that example again, it's like they also pay as one of the highest in the market just to get that talent in the door, basically. And then you can work with the talent and see whether they're right for you. I think another really key component is like having a very strong feedback culture and a culture of, of, of direct feedback and continuous feedback as well, so that you're continuously assessing the performance of your uh, employees and also coaching them. If I look at just the talent, like a raw talent coming in the door, there, there is a, definitely a chance they're going to figure out everything on their own and they're going to be super high performing by themselves. Like you throw them to the deep end, they'll swim. But there's also a chance that you hire great talent and they will just not figure out how to swim on their own. And what I have seen with a lot of startups is that, that there's a lot of attention on getting people in the door, like again, hiring at speed. But then once they get in a job, 
that actually the onboarding process or the on-the-job coaching is lacking. And the person is just not set up for success. So you have great talents, but then they still don't make it. Wow. It's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community. Get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. And now back to the show. We're taking the HR Impact Show on the road. As a loyal listener to the HR Impact Show, we'd like to invite you to join us live at the 2024 Transform Conference at the Wynn Resort in Las Vegas from March 11th through the 13th. Transform brings together people-driven leaders, investors, and innovators across industries and backgrounds with a shared passion for people innovation and transforming the world of work. The 2024 Transform Conference is going to be the best yet. Here's what you can expect. Innovative showcases, probing conversations, hands-on learning experiences, 300-plus speakers, and more. Join us and let's shape the future world of work together. Something that I'd like you to expand, you're talking about onboarding. What we've covered so far, when you're talking about building a high-performance organization that operates with empathy, you're setting the conditions up front from a talent attraction perspective and a talent acquisition perspective, and you mentioned it to yourself, you're creating your job descriptions and your communication motions for those candidates so they self-select in. The next thing that I'd like you to map out is from an onboarding perspective, how do you set your onboarding process so that it's aligned with your recruiting process with the intention of keeping keeping people yep. in with clear expectations? They then skip the functional onboarding piece. So after the company onboarding, you want to hand it off to uh, the function and, and onboard that person in their role. I always think it's very important that with you that first day, for in order for the person to feel welcome, but also for the person to get started, get going a bit, like get into the group, having a very clear outline of, hey, these are the people I would like you to meet with, the connections I would like you to make, the things I would like you to read and understand. Here are your the first projects that I would like you to, to start with. And it's a little bit to get your feet wet, but these are also important things. And here are also the the goals that I'm I'm looking to you for to achieve in the coming period. And this can be like the, the first maybe six or 12 months. And then also providing them with uh, somebody that they can go to if they have uh, questions beyond you, their, their manager. And so like it's a bit of a cliche, but the I believe in the, the buddy system. And then maybe in, in but a, a buddy can be somebody who's like a peer who, who will guide you to, hey, here's how this stuff works and don't worry about this. But Maybe secondly, also providing the person with a senior mentor. So there's somebody at a, maybe even in a, in a different department that helps you how to get stuff done within the company, how to influence, how to, I don't on the longer term, it can, it can evolve into a mentorship about like career progression and understanding the company. Yeah. I, I find that in my own experience that companies often skip that second part. And the second part is, also, by the way, also it tells a whole bunch of like functional things, like get to know the job and, and, and your team, et cetera. But it's important to to spend time on that so they're set up for success. Like you want the person to feel welcomed, you want them to feel like excited and motivated, not scared. And you also want to give them like a first couple of things to get their feet wet. The thing that stands out about what you described is that the things that you listed off from an onboarding perspective were people-centric versus administrative-centric. And I think this is one of the flaws that happens within a lot of onboarding processes 
is that they get that first part. Oh, here's how, here's your access to all of the platforms and blah, blah, blah. And go ahead, be awesome now since you got all that out of the way. I think the point that I yep. really liked about what you made was that there needs to be a sufficient amount of time spent mapping out the role, mapping out projects, mapping out internal resources, build, setting the internal matrix of relationships up so that this person is supported and then giving them some quick wins. You want to build confidence early so yep. that people aren't figuring stuff out on the fly. Even in a startup environment, yes, you're building the plane as it's flying, but you can't put your people strategy in that mode because you're, set, you're setting your people up to fail. So I really love how you brought that out. One of the things that I'm wondering, and we've had a really solid conversation about some of the fundamentals that need to be done from a talent attraction perspective when you're building mm -hmm. a high-performance organization. We've talked about the onboarding side when it comes to building a high-performance organization. Now, think about that period of that employee life cycle where they're beyond that first six months. How do you continue that culture build? of high performance with empathy, what are the things that you've seen done that managers and leaders should be focused on to continue building on the foundation that you've laid in the first six months? Looking back at the, the time I spent at BCG, I think that, that having a culture of uh, continuous feedback and regular performance assessments is, is important. And just also just taking a step back, when we think about performance management, I've noticed that we're often talking about reviewing people and deciding if they're going to stay or not or putting them on pitch or stuff like that. But you can also think about performance management as from a coaching perspective. Like, what, what are we doing to really help this person excel? And from that lens, like, you, you want to have, like, frequent coaching touch bases and also be very transparent with the person, like, where they stand. Are they doing well? Are they not doing well? And this is often tricky. Like, I, I find that managers are often struggle with being direct then with their, with their direct reports about, like, how they're actually doing and how they're stacking up. And... This is maybe also a bit of a cultural difference here as well. And people who are listening that are working for multinational companies will know what I'm referring to here. But then in the U.S., the, I've definitely had my experience of the, like the, the what's called the, the BS sandwich. Like that you always have to say three good things or three positive things and then one negative thing. And whereas are you really doing the person the service there by packaging it in that way? So I, I actually really like this, the radical candor framework. So that you can be direct, but also caring at the same time, but that you would want to be that at the same time. And I will even take it a step further and say, look, it, if you're holding it back, it's also not really caring because you're actually depriving that, that person from giving them good feedback that will make them better. Because if the person is not performing and it's not going well, they know it and, and they, they often sense it as well. Like, more often they sense it and it may be sparking their anxiety and making them insecure and that's not helping their performance either. Being direct there as well. And. Looking back at BCG, we had at least every six months, there was a performance conversation and then you will get feedback almost on a weekly or bi-weekly basis from your direct manager. And it was always very detailed and very much focused on this is what you're doing well, this is the things I, I would like you to work on. And that type of environment, that, that really pushed and challenged me. I, I love how you call that out. You called it the BS sandwich. We call it the, the compliment sandwich. And it's never really resonated with me from a communication perspective because I'm an Indian. So our communication style from a cultural perspective is pretty direct. And it, it sounds like your default communication style as someone from Holland is very similar. So the navigating those conversations in an effective way is a gap that I've seen 
in the U.S. And I think when we boil it all down, I think a lot of this boils down to a lack of modeling that is persistent for new managers to build that skill. And then you just talked about it that yourself from your time at BCG, you were getting detailed feedback on a consistent basis, positives and negatives in a direct way mm -hmm. throughout your career. So you were actually brought up in a feedback culture. You have managers who aren't skilled in that. They're not really modeling what that looks like to the individual contributor ranks. And then when you look at high growth organizations, who are the people that are most likely getting promoted into management roles? It's those high performers at the individual contributors who've never been coached to have these conversations that rise into managers, right. manager roles, and then you have this cycle continue. So it's a great yep. set of points that you bring out. Aryan, we've covered almost the entire employee life cycle when it comes to how do you build a high performance culture that has empathy? Mm -hmm. We've covered attracting the talent, onboarding the talent, developing the talent. What about the back end of the employee life cycle? When you're talking about high performance organizations that are building that culture, building empathy in that culture, what about when you have to exit people? How do you do that effectively and remain consistent with that focus on empathy? That's a great question as well, because what also stood out to me at BCG was the, again, the empathy that really came back. Like when we get to that point where you might have a super talented person, but they're maybe not consulting is not the right role for them, or they are not as good as you need them to be in that role, how to then have that conversation. And with BCG, there was also, I felt there again, that there was a lot of empathy in a conversation, a lot of humility also, and recognizing like, hey, yes, we're actually saying goodbye to you here, but also a, a level of directness there too. Look, this is the decision and, and here's where it ends. The focus was then very quickly went on to how can we then help you to succeed in your next step? And if you, it, 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 this comes from that empathy standpoint, consider the fact that you're letting go of this person and the person is not going to be in the job market and they need to look for the next role. They're going to have a bunch of anxieties around that. Like, how can you support them through that? And BCG definitely invested a lot of resources into that. There's a whole like a career department and that, that helps people that are transitioning out to find their next step. But even like fellow BCGers, partners, would come to that person and say, hey, I heard your uh, going on tradition. How can I help you? Is there anybody I know that I can connect you with? Like, the fact that people would say that, like they took, one, they took away the, the shame of that situation. There's no shame in it. You're still a super talented person. And the second piece is there was a genuine intent for the signal to genuine intent for you to be successful also after you left. And because of that, I think people left with her had held up Hive, and they, they also transitioned them better to uh, another job and became more positive alumni. And, and if you do, in general, when I talk to former colleagues of mine from BCG, like in general, find people to be very positive about the company and their experience. And I think it's also because of that, because they're, they're doing this on the back end. I you always also in, in the high growth startup world, I always like have this conversation with, with founders where I'm, I'm usually encouraging them not to be too stingy. Also on like the severance and stuff like that. Try to set the person up for success. Yes, you don't have to give away the house. And we most high growth organizations don't have the same resources as Meta or uh, Google or Netflix. But you can signal to the to the employee that you're really doing your best to try to set them up for success for the next step. And like I said earlier, like the same example that I used for BCG, like a partner asking you like, hey, how can I help? An executive at a tech company can do the same thing. How can I... Who could I connect you with? Uh, look at my LinkedIn. Pick three people or five people that 
that you would like me to connect you with and I'll do it. Like just saying that helps people so much. The big takeaway that I draw from what you just described on the exiting process is being deliberate about, about removing the shame that can be associated with having to exit an organization. And I think that's important because if you're on the employee side, you're probably shell-shocked to some degree. So when senior leaders reach out in that way, that actually helps soften it. So I'm glad that you brought that up. We've talked about a lot of stuff on about the topic of building a high-performance culture that's focused on up or out, but doing it with uh, a, a great deal of empathy. What are the big things that you want the listeners to keep in mind when they're trying to build this type of culture? The topics that we covered are important ones, supporting important building blocks from uh, setting clear expectations up front of what the culture is going to be like and what the expectations are going to be that you're going to have as a company. Secondly, then uh, setting them up for success through great onboarding and also direct feedback and, and ongoing conversations. And then lastly, to to also pay mind to the exit procedure and uh, how you're transitioning people away from your company. If it's assessed that they're not hitting the bar that you're aspired to have. Last thing before we close down, where can people find you? Actually, so I'm a very low social media guy. So LinkedIn is actually my platform of choice. And so if they want to find me, feel free to reach out to me to LinkedIn. And I, I always look forward to having quirky and, and insightful and in-depth conversations about HR. I'm a total people geek. Awesome stuff. And uh, if you're having trouble finding him, look for the guy with the KISS t-shirt in the profile picture, and that'll that'll narrow down if you have 15 Aryan Makais that show up in your search bar. Aryan, really appreciate you hanging out with us and sharing your insights. When I think about this conversation that we've had, there's a couple things that stand out. One is that the whole idea of building a high-performance culture, having an up or out culture, the myth that we sort of help to bust in this conversation is that that doesn't mean heartless. There's a way to pull this out and pull this off where you are high touch in how you navigate the employee life cycle. If you're setting the expectations up front in the hiring process, you're clear about what the expectations look like from an onboarding process, and that carries through the development and exit process, you're actually being consistent to your values and your mission, and you're doing it with a lot of heart, and you're doing it with kindness. There's a difference between kindness and niceness. So it's critical that you carry the, these principles through the entire employee life cycle. We opened the conversation by saying you can't cherry pick what you like and what's comfortable for you. If you want to build a high performance organization, it's an all or nothing equation. And you have to be disciplined in making sure that this is embedded through the employee life cycle. And it shows up every single day in how your senior leaders and your executives are behaving. And that carries down to your managers, which will eventually carry down to your individual contributors who are the next generation of leaders within your organization. If you're looking at building a high performance organization, you can't risk picking and choosing because that's setting yourself up for failure. So for those of you who have hung out with us and had and listened to the conversation, we appreciate your time. Leave us a review and let us know what you thought of the conversation and then tune in next time where we'll have another great leader joining us and sharing with us the game-changing realizations that they had that helped them build high-performing teams. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. 
Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.